All right, if you would, let's return back to that text that we read, Hebrews chapter number 10. And let me draw your attention to verses 9 and 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Our subject this morning is that glorious phrase, once for all. You'll notice that those words, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This sacrifice that we have been learning about, the writer of Hebrews continues to remind us of Christ's sacrifice. Uh, If we were writing the Bible, which of course we're not, we might have made mention of these sacrifices. We may have made mention of the blood of the bulls and the bullocks and the lambs. We might have had a, a paragraph about this. But we are now moving into almost three chapters that we have been dealing with really the same idea. That this sacrificial system, the system that the Old Testament saints were observing, the system that they were obeying, was not the completed and fulfilled uh, system that was coming and that when we finally see that phrase once for all we are seeing really the declaration of what all of the prophets and all of the prophecies had been telling us about we see that the sacrifice was the very body of Christ verse 10 calls the sacrifice of Jesus an offering Now, we think of offerings in our churches and we think of giving. We think of giving our tithes. We think of giving our money. And we are certainly like every other church. Our offerings are given. They are given voluntarily. They are given out of your own free will. Uh, They are given as God has prospered you. But never lose sight of the reality that the sacrifice of Christ was indeed an offering. It was an offering of giving. It was an offering of a gift. It was a sacrifice. And that Christ's sacrifice, different than all other sacrifices, was a once for all. It was a sacrifice that was never to be repeated. It was a sacrifice that would never again need to be repeated, nor would any repetition of this sacrifice by some other have any merit or have any value at all yet we see in these verses it says we are sanctified notice that the writer makes very specific terms here he says we are sanctified he doesn't say the world as a whole he doesn't say every living person he says we those who are bought by the blood of christ who are bought by the offering of jesus christ can rest assured this morning that the sacrifice in which jesus christ offered was a once for all sacrifice and it is never ever ever to be repeated now all of chapter 10 really begins to drive us towards the end of the book of hebrews Because we are going to see that even when we get to the end of this chapter, there's a bit of a change in the direction as to how the writer now is pointing us. Wanting us to settle this once and for all in our minds that the sacrifice is in fact the final one. 
Now, if you go with me back to the beginning of this chapter, you'll notice that there is this repetition again in the first verse. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So we do in fact see that that is a a reference back to the old ceremonial law under which the Jews had lived for so many years. Uh, it It is amazing that for how many years the Jews would have abided by and this would have been their normal course of living under this old ceremonial law. They had gone year after year offering the same kind of sacrifices, offering them over and over and over again because the work of atonement was never done perfectly. Men could not say that their atoning, the atoning work of those sacrifices was a completed process. It had to continually and constantly be repeated. The blood that was sprinkled in those Old Testament sacrifices was never, the sin was never fully put away in this sense. That the guilt still remained. You see, the thing that the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't deal with, couldn't deal with the guilt. They would go away with a sense every year or daily that my sin has been dealt with today. And so to a certain measure, there was some relief in that. There was some relief that, hey, for today, for this moment, for this hour, my sin has been dealt with. But what they didn't have is they didn't have perfect rest. They didn't have a rest that was lasting. You can see them going home, back to their homes after the sacrifices have been made, and you can almost see before they even get home saying, we have to do this again. And again, and again. More blood has to be offered. More sacrifice has to be given. Another animal has to be slain. There was a certain measure of rest and relief that came, but it was not a perfect rest. That perfect rest is what we find in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. If that had dealt with it entirely, if it had dealt with the guilt, if it had dealt with the totality of what was needful, then there would not have been another lamb brought. There would not have been another animal brought. There would have been no need for another day of atonement if the sacrifice on that day had truly made a complete, perfect sacrifice for sin. And we see, as we've learned week after week, the fact that a lamb had to be offered every morning and every evening, that there was still that one great day of atonement to be observed every year, proved that there was still sin remaining which had not been fully put away. That the worshipers that are mentioned here in verse verse number 2 had to come again and again and again with fresh sacrifices to deal with all of their fresh sins. You don't really think about your sins as being fresh sins. But fresh sins would have immediately reminded them of guilt. When you sin, like at this moment, it's a fresh sin. 
And there's that guilt now that I've got to go make another sacrifice. I've got to go do this again. And yet they would have that opportunity because every day a sacrifice had to be made leading up to that one great day of atonement. But then we see there in verses 3 and 4, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. And I want you to remember that word remembrance because that's the key to where we're going with this. There's a remembrance of those sins. For it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. The blood that was being offered was only a picture. It was only an emblem. It was a type of a far more precious blood. It was a shadow of the real atonement which was to come. That was going to be offered. That sacrifice, that body that Christ offered, contained the blood sacrifice. The sacrifice of His own blood the sacrifice of his own life would provide the real atonement which, which, with which all of the Old Testament saints were looking for. We start to see this building, this crescendo building. We see in verse number 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, <clears throat> he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. The reference here, of course, to the he cometh into the world is the true Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth, our Redeemer, when He cometh into the world, He saith, what does He say? Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared. The writer of Hebrews is quoting almost word for word Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And in these next verses, beginning there in verse 5 down through verse number 8, he is repeating almost word for word what Psalm 40 verses 6 through 8 says. Again, look with me now at verse number 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, this is Christ speaking here, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Why is the first taken away? He takes away the first type because what we call theologically the great anti-type has now come. I didn't say anti-Christ, I said anti-type. The very opposite of that, the very, the very picture of what the shadows and the sacrifices were pointing to, he has now abolished the need for an offering of bullocks and goats and lambs because he has come. He who all of those sacrificial animals foreshadowed. This is really a turning point. This is really the moment when we begin to fully grasp and fully understand that this sacrifice was meant to be a once for all. And that it would be an abomination to try to offer the blood of another animal as any sort of means or picture of he who's already come. You could sincerely bring a sacrifice today and ask me to slaughter it on our altar or on our remembrance table, our communion table, and I would say, no way. Absolutely not. Well, I just want to give you a picture. 
We don't need a picture because he has already come. I don't need to see that picture again. I don't need to see that type again. Now again, it doesn't mean in the Old Testament it didn't have value. It doesn't mean that the blood was not required. We've learned that over this extended period of time learning about this. But folks, when he says this is a once-for-all sacrifice by the body and the offering of Jesus Christ himself once for all, it would be unthinkable to attempt to offer any other blood than the blood of Christ and his sacrifice. In that beautiful verse, in verse number 10, he says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once doesn't just indicate a number. Hear me carefully. It doesn't just indicate a number. It cannot be offered again. It's impossible to offer the blood of another animal in the place of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. It's not just a number. It can't be done. The very presence of the offering up of the body and blood of Christ is what's at the heart here. It's been done once. It has, there is no need of a repetition. As a matter of fact, there's no need to even offer or attempt to offer the blood of Christ again, which is the great error of the Catholic Church. There's an attempt to offer up the blood of Christ again by saying that it turns to the blood. It actually turns to His blood. That's to offer Him again. That's to violate the once for all. You say, we shouldn't talk that way. That's not going to go over well. We have to speak the truth. That's biblical truth. It's not just about the number. It's about it cannot be offered again properly. For us to try to turn anything else into the blood of Christ as if it needs to be offered again is a travesty and an abomination to God. Some people would say, well, that's just a difference in your tradition. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not at all. That is the epitome of going against what Bible actually teaches. We cannot, in one of our communion services and observance of the Lord's Supper, ever take that juice and say, this turns into the blood of Christ again and we're re-offering it again. I would be guilty of heresy if I did that at this church. We're not offering His blood again. His blood's already been shed once. His body's already been offered once. That's why the once for all is so important here. To suppose we could repeat it would suggest or to imply that his original offering was incomplete. We would have to say, Christ left something still, and he left something that we needed to add to it. But notice the order. He says, by the which will we are sanctified. He already uses, on this occasion, we're already sanctified. We're already set apart. This is already, the blood has already been received. The blood has already accomplished that which it set out to accomplish. It's already perfected redemption. 
Verse 11 and 12, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, that's a reference back to verse 10, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, notice that, sat down on the right hand of God. We've already indicated that theologically and biblically, when the Lord Jesus Christ is described as being seated, that indicates a finished work. He's not seated asking for more blood to be offered. He's not seated asking for another sacrifice. No, it was done. Completely done. For how long? Forever. Nothing was to be added to it. Therefore, Jesus sits down in the place of great honor and great power, which is why the Bible specifically says at the right hand of God. You notice the Bible doesn't just say he sat down by God or he sat down near God. The right hand of God is the place of highest honor and the place of power. When it describes as Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, that is not a light thing to consider. That is a glorious truth because Christ is in the place of that highest honor. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. What an amazing doctrine it is to think about that Christ has done what thousands and thousands of offering and gallons and gallons of shed blood of animals could not do. We could get into a, a, an, a theological argument, and people have done this over the years, and I'm not going to do that today, but the argument was a number of years ago, how much blood was required. Was it one drop of Christ's blood? Was it a liter? What was it? You could get into that debate all you want, but the reality is, is the gallons and gallons of blood that was shed from all of those animals didn't do what Christ's blood did. It actually atoned for sin. It actually completed what the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do. This amazing work of this offering of Christ Himself, all the work of man, when we understand this doctrine, every work of man that attempts to gain his own salvation is nothing more than spinning an unrighteous wheel. You are spinning on a wheel that will never, ever, ever accomplish what the sacrifice and the offering of the body of Jesus Christ did. It's like running on a hamster wheel. You're not getting anywhere. You're just going round and round and round thinking that your righteousness is somehow going to equal the once-for-all sacrificial blood of Christ and it will never match up. Amen. It'll never match then why do thousands of people around the world continue to try to add something to the finished work of Christ? People can ask all the time, what's the number one problem with the church today? And people will make arguments saying, well, they're not involved enough in this social thing. They're not involved in this enough. They're not involved in this enough. The church should be doing more of this. The church should be doing more than this. No, that's not the greatest issue. The greatest issue is the millions of people all around the world who are still trying to work out their salvation by works. They're, they are spinning on an unrighteous wheel. And they just keep spinning and spinning and spinning and they think they're getting somewhere. 
It is the finished work once for all of Jesus Christ that has paid what was owed. Why is man so tempted to continue to try to add to this? Because man in his depravity still believes that he has something valuable to offer to God. We live in a day and age where people are being told, well, you are valuable to Christ. You add to Christ. You bring Him something. We don't bring Christ anything. We don't make Him better, nor do we make Him worse. You know, it would be one thing if we said, we don't bring Him, make Him better, but we do make Him worse. You don't even make Him worse. You don't change the character of God. You don't change the nature of God. God is perfect and holy and righteous and just no matter what the world does. If all of us just decided to rebel against God, God would not be worse. He wouldn't be hindered by that. But somehow in the eternal counsel of God, He knew and determined that I am going to save people for my glory and for my honor And they're not going to have anything to boast in. They're not going to have anything to be able to say, I contributed even a single ounce to this. So that we would be able to say with Paul that I could boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul was not just boasting in the actual act of going to the cross. Paul was boasting in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that blood was perfecting blood. It did what the Old Testament sacrifices could not do. So having completed this great work, Christ sits down at the right hand of God. Verse 13 and 14 tells us, From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. If I was to say to you today that if you are in Christ you have been made perfect. Most of us would look at each other and say, I don't see perfection. I don't see perfection in the person I'm sitting next to. I don't see perfection in the pastor who's standing up before me because we still see and still realize that in our our humanity, we are still sinners. But we are perfected in Him. We are perfected by His righteousness. Notice he uses the word expecting. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. There is this expectation that Jesus himself is expecting to the one day that's coming when every enemy of the cross will be put down. But you and I are also expecting something. I hope you're expecting and looking forward to Christ's return. I hope you're hastening and saying, even so, Lord, come now, come today. Because we realize that the the longer that we are in this world, the longer we realize that we are not of this world, the longer we realize that our citizenship is not here, our citizenship is in heaven, we'll begin to long more and more for the presence of our Savior. Because of what He's done for us. We've been set apart, we've been sanctified. We have not fully come into the complete fullness of the blessing 
that we are going to see in Christ. What do we see? We see God's mercy. But we only see, maybe we just see a portion of it. We know how grand God's mercy is, but I don't think we'll fully understand the mercy of God until we actually see our Savior face to face. And then I think the mercy of God is going to become so real and the fullness is going to be be able to... Why? Because we'll be like He is. We'll see Him as He is. Without sin. Christ, of course, is expecting that one day His... The command is going to be from the Father, go get your bride. What an amazing day that's going to be. What a glorious day when all the saints who've ever lived, when all the saints are gathered together. And he says, the writer tells us, he said, I want you to know something. You can know that this is all true. In verse 15, he says, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he had said before, the Holy Spirit is a witness that all of these things are true. I may not be able to convince you, but the Holy Spirit is the perfect witness that testifies to the truths of what the Scripture teaches. But he goes one step further. He makes mention of this covenant. Verse 15, whereof the holy, or verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Remember I told you to remember the word remember? Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What a great reminder of this covenant. The covenant is not that He will bless you if you keep the law, but that you shall be enabled to keep it. We have actually been given the ability by the writing of the law of God on our hearts. Folks, this is falling out of popularity in the churches. We actually have been given the ability to desire and obey the laws of God. Now, does that mean perfectly? No. But he didn't write them again on tablets of stone. He wrote them on our heart. He said the covenant isn't, I will bless you if you keep it. The blessing is, I have given you the ability to keep it. Not on stone tablets. Why did he write it on our hearts? He wrote these on our hearts because our soul would feel the force and the power of the law of God. Folks, I can point people to a law. I can read to you the Ohio statutes on whatever law you want to talk about. I can read that law to you. I could give you the Ohio handbook. I could say, here's here's all of Ohio's laws. But you might never ever feel the full force of those laws until it's written upon your soul. That's what's at mind here. He is talking about this is not just looking at the law as something to look at and say, yeah, that's nice. That's a law there. That's a law there. It's when it has the full force on your soul that leads you to delight in the law of God, which is what David talked about. David said, I delight to do thy will, O God. He says this covenant that's written upon your heart, I want you to feel the full force of what this means. And then he says, here's what I want you to meditate on. I know us Baptists are afraid of the word meditate. Don't be afraid of the word meditate. Please don't. 
we've, we've allowed other denominations to rob us of some beauty. Meditation is, is a very important thing. I'm not talking about some spooky thing. I'm talking about meditating on God's laws and God's word. Here's what he says. He says, I've, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds while I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I told those that were here for Saturday morning the- or Sunday morning theology this morning about we're going to look at Psalm 133 next week. And I said, I want you to look at that and think about that next, for next Sunday. Here's another thing I want you to meditate on all week. That verse, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Do you realize every Old Testament sacrifice, the sins were remembered because it had to keep being repeated every week? Do you, realize what, do you realize the time in history you are living in? Do you realize you are living in a, in a time in history when you're not looking forward to the time when he will remember the sins no more, but you're actually living in the generations that say, he honestly doesn't remember my sins and iniquities any longer. That's for the guilt. There's a big difference. Hear me well. There's a big difference between conviction and guilt. When we sin, that that feeling and those things that are happening to you, that's conviction of the Spirit because you're violating the laws of God. It's not guilt that you're still in your sin and you're still unsaved and you're still unconverted. I have the promise that even though I know I'm going to sin, that Jesus Christ does not have to offer another sacrifice to keep me in the family of God. That is a big deal whether we acknowledge it or not. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And if it's not already good enough, Then he adds verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Where there's no more remission for these. What? Those sins and iniquities. That's the true context here. Where there is, where the remission of these there isn't, there's no more offering. The sins themselves are gone. God will remember them no more. No further sacrifices needed. I, I, I still struggle in my humanity of wondering, because I know I have to trust God in this, how that when God the Father looks at His children, He doesn't see our sin. He only sees the Son. He sees the Son's righteousness. He sees that Christ was that one time, once for all sacrifice. Imagine you and I reading these words today and realizing that he's speaking about us. Those that are in Christ today, there is no remembrance of your sin. I remember them. You remember your sin. He doesn't remember them. He puts them away. They can no longer be a separation between us and Him. Now again, why did Paul have to write the things he wrote in the book of Romans? 
This is grace is not a license for you to live however you want because now you have taken into account I've written the law of God on your heart and the full force of the law is I've enabled you to, to obey these laws and you're going to delight to do the will of God. So if we have the attitude today to say, listen, I think that preacher is saying that no matter what I do, I can live however I want, sin as much as I want, and nothing's going to separate me from the love of God and nothing's going to take me out of his family, then I would say, sir or ma'am, you might want to check to be sure you're even converted. Because the converted soul is not trying to find a way to sin. They're humbled by the reality that there's no remembrance of my sin anymore. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, all the way back in that verse, and I didn't mention this in verse 9, He said, Lo, I come to do Thy will. God the Son came to do the will of the Father. He didn't come to do His own thing. He didn't come to do the work of someone else. He came to do the work of the Father. No more offering for sin is needed. The work of atonement is fully done and done forever. Not only is the work of atonement done, but the sin of all who believe in Jesus is put away. There's no need for another sacrifice. Listen, the glorious message that we're hearing today, that if you believe in Christ today, if you have repented of your sins, and if you are in Christ, it was by His sacrifice. Today, Christ is not calling you to do anything. It's amazing to me how convoluted and how confusing the gospel has gotten. Because oftentimes a person begins to talk about coming to Christ and how to come to Christ and our humanity says, okay, what do I need to do? You don't need to do anything but repent and believe in Christ alone. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift that's given by God. For by grace are ye saved. Repent and believe. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I've got to bring something with me. Doesn't He need my best offering? Doesn't He need my best sacrifice? No, it's unacceptable. Well, certainly He's going to be more pleased with me if I bring the blood of a lamb, isn't He? No. It's a once-for-all sacrifice. What Christ has already done, there's nothing more that can ever be done. He has already done all that you need. He has perfected you forever on account of the, the body and the offering of Christ. Folks, we give a universal command to everyone to believe. I want to make that very, very clear. Our church believes in a universal command to preach the gospel to every single person. We don't single people out and we don't say only certain people need to hear. We don't look at people's lifestyles and say they must not be one of God's. We believe in the universal command to repent. That means the same message goes to every single person regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done. I would preach the same message in a prison that I would preach right here. I wouldn't tell that prisoner, in order for you to come to Christ, in order for you to get saved, you're going to have to clean up everything, you're going to have to make everything right. I would say, no, you have got to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. 
You say, don't you need to know his background? Don't you need to know why he's in prison? No, I don't. What if he's in there for murder? Does he still get the same gospel? He still gets the same gospel. Because as hard as this is for us to understand, there are murderers in heaven. Some of them we know. Some of them we saw that they were actually guilty of taking the life of another person, and yet they were still redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This really is a glorious truth to think about once for all. I hope this morning that you can claim this. You can say for yourself, I know today that my sins and iniquities, God remembers no more. There's no, there's where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. And we can say, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's nothing more to offer. Let's conclude our time this morning by singing the hymn, familiar hymn, and I think appropriate for our time today, 296. Let's stand together as we sing, and then we'll be dismissed in prayer. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hymn number 296.